Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. We start a new week and a new month. Looks like uh, for much of the country, March coming in like a lamb. We'll see what happens at the end of the month. We'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson a little bit later on. Uh, The UK is moving towards more biofuels. Does that mean an opportunity for the U.S. to export to UK? Or will they be able to produce enough to meet their own uh, needs there. We'll talk about it with the General Counsel and Vice President, Government Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association, Scott Richmond, will be joining us a little bit later on. Carbon, carbon, carbon. A lot of talk about carbon. Today we'll talk with uh, Bear Crop Science and find out about their carbon program. That's all coming up on today's program. By the way, I had my first COVID vaccination on Friday, doing well, no problems. Looking forward to getting the second one here later this month. Let's talk it over now with Sarah Wyand, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Mike, and so happy to hear you got your first shot on your way to your second. That's uh, terrific news. Yep, no problems at all, and uh, yeah, more and more becoming available, and we're glad to see that. Hey, I wish we were seeing each other face-to-face at Commodity Classic this week, but uh, that's not uh, the way it's going to be. We'll, we do that by Zoom. Again, another big event. This one, Classic has grown so much over the years, and so much of it is uh, that interaction with other people in the hallways and at the convention sessions, but uh, still, at least the information will be available through Zoom. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like most events this year, we all wish we could be back in person. But it was kind of fun with their platform last night. Uh, we logged in just to see the folks that were showing up at the auctions for the corn pack and got to talk to Martin Barbary and John Doggett and a couple other folks. So, uh, you know, you got to just pick your different platforms for how you can still connect during what's uh, still left of this pandemic. Yep, virtual commodity classic this week. Meanwhile, we turn our attention to Washington and uh, the stimulus package passed in the House. What's its chances, do you think, in the Senate? Well, I think this thing's really on the fast track here. Obviously, uh, everything moved quickly through the House uh, early Saturday morning. As you saw, we reported they uh, got everything approved, made a couple of changes that uh, were interesting. You might have seen in committee, there was a focus from the Republicans on the House Ag Committee to adopt an amendment that would have earmarked more money to compensate producers in Iowa who lost crops due to last summer's die ratio. But, uh, and that caused Cindy Axney, a Democrat from Iowa, to break from her party and support it. But that was stripped uh, later on uh, out of the stimulus package, so it, it is not going to be included, and they uh, they clearly had all the votes to do that. Now, on the Senate side, it's a little more difficult because the parliament, uh, parliamentarian has already ruled that the $15 minimum wage provision that's been stuck in this, like a lot of other provisions that aren't really truly COVID-related, uh, is not germane. 
so that it cannot be allowed as part of this push uh, under budget reconciliation to do this $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Um, some Democrats are talking about going around that by uh, looking at a tax on large corporations that don't pay $15 an hour minimum wage, uh, but it kind of remains to be seen how they're going to, to do that. Uh, I think, it, but clearly there's a, there's an urgency. Uh, a lot of people are still hurting. Uh, a lot of folks are still hungry in America, and uh, you can see those kinds of talking points coming out from Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow and now Secretary Tom Vilsack, and uh, I think it's going to be all hands on deck to push for quick approval in the Senate. Meanwhile, Secretary Vilsack, newly confirmed Secretary Vilsack, working from uh, Iowa, uh, will be speaking virtually to those uh, with the National Farmers Union, their annual convention, and to the uh, Commodity Classic uh, attendees that we talked about earlier. He'll be uh, busy on the virtual uh, convention front this week. Yeah, not only NFU, but he's speaking in the National Press Foundation about hunger, uh, midweek and Commodity Classic on Friday. I think this is a good sign for the Secretary to be out front to let everybody know that he's going to be very, very much engaged. And as you know, Mike, this is a, quite a contrast from some of the later months of Secretary Purdue in terms of press availability. He had a press conference last week, uh, opened up to all sorts of different kinds of questions, and so we're, we're seeing a lot more interaction with the Secretary right out of the chute. And obviously, as we all expected, climate policy, climate issues right at the top of his uh, agenda. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why, as you and I talked last week, our summit, uh, March 22nd through 24th, is focused on all aspects of climate. It's really not a question of if there will be something, it's when. And I think he made, Secretary Vilsack made it pretty clear during his press conference that there might not be any specific policy actions right away, but that there are opportunities at USDA, whether it's a carbon bank or using the CSP program in uh, NRC, through NRCS, uh, that there are options that can be pursued to help farmers have a good seat at the table in uh, being solutions to the climate challenges. And if he can get those up and working uh, during his tenure, then there's a good opportunity that those could be included in the next farm bill which you think shouldn't be here right away, but it's always right around the corner, you know, five years from when we get the last one done. So I think that there will be a climate discussion uh, in every part of the cabinet, but certainly at USDA, uh, where we're fortunate to have Vilsack try to make a case for voluntary incentive-based solutions for the farm community. And I think this is a key time. I mean, uh, the reaction to Vilsack coming back to USDA is very, very positive in the ag community. And the tone that is set here and the the relationship between the administration and the ag community on working on these uh, climate issues, you can set that tone here early on. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, NFU will be very receptive. They were receptive of some of the previous uh, climate plans during the Obama administration, so they'll be all that in. But, you know, even in talking to Rob LaRue during the Ag Outlook conference, I asked him if his members had an expectation that would be more like cap-and-trade or voluntary incentive-based, and, and certainly the latter is the case for them as well. 
this has to be something that's economically sustainable for farmers. It can't just be a heavy hand of uh, regulatory push to tell people they have to do something that they can't afford. For sure. All right, Sarah, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. You too. Hope to see you on my Commodity Classic virtual tour later this week. <laughs> Take care. Sarah Wine, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Yes, uh, for many, March coming in like a lamb. Are we going to hear that lion roar, though, at the end of the month? We'll see what Bryce has in his, in his extended forecast. Plus, how's the weather in South America? We'll get the update next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise, We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, EPA finally says they will support the Tenth Circuit Court's ruling on small refinery exemptions to the RFS. Here with reaction is Kurt Kabarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, better late than never, I guess took more than a year. We did get some sense that this was a direction that EPA was heading under this new administration, and we're, we're very pleased to see this decision come out on Monday. This decision probably doesn't have a significant tangible impact in terms of the legal process. The Supreme Court is still going to take this up in the next couple months with the decision by this summer. This is a strong signal from the Biden administration that kind of the, the days of using small refiner exemptions to undermine obligations and the mandated levels of renewable fuels are over. The The use of SREs by EPA is clearly going to be reined in by, by this administration. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. 
Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. It's March, and for much of the country, March has come in like a, a lamb. So does that mean a lion is waiting at the end of the month? Let's talk it over with DTN senior meteorologist Bryce Anderson. What do you think, Bryce? I just hope it's not an iguana, Mike. <laughs> I, I've never heard the uh, the saying about an iguana for March. Yeah, well, I'm, we, we've, had, we've had a crazy year. Uh, crazy, uh, you know, little stretch here, and so I'm just, uh, uh-huh. you know, kind of cautious, hoping that there's nothing, uh, you know, too much out of the out of the realm of folklore when uh, we get to the. Would end an of iguana month. be good or bad weather-wise? To me, to me, it, it would it would mean uh, that we've got uh, a healthy amount of rainfall over quite a few areas. That's the mm-hmm. that's the impression that I would get. I don't know that we're going to see that. So that's the reason why I kind of uh, hold that out there. But yeah, you start seeing those funny lizards around. All of a sudden, I think that's going to lead to a whole bunch uh-huh. of uh, kind of recalculations, so to speak. Well, what is your forecast for this month of March? <laughs> Pretty mild when it comes to temperatures. In fact, over the uh, northern part of the country, uh, we could see temps uh, anywhere from about three to five degrees above average. Uh, talking about the northern plains and the northern Midwest, and everywhere else except for the northwest, uh, the PNW coast, Washington and Oregon, uh, is going to have uh, above normal uh, temperatures. We could have a little bit near normal, kind of west of the divide, and uh, you know, so that's uh, you know pretty much a mild scenario. But the uh, the precip uh, situation is still looking pretty light. And um, best chances would be in the Ohio Valley, over into the Great Lakes, maybe parts of the upper Mississippi Valley. But for quite a few other areas, uh, it still is looking pretty dry uh, with below normal, especially in the southeast. Uh, Florida could be quite dry. Uh, The Gulf Coast and then toward the Carolinas uh, could be pretty dry as well. Now, you've told us uh, about you don't think it's going to be an, uh, an early start to, to field work this spring, but if it's warm and dry in March, then you must be thinking that's going to change in April? Well, there, there, there certainly could be uh, the prospect for some uh, improvement going into April. There's no doubt about that. Uh, with that uh, likelihood of, of March uh, kind, of, kind of trending into a a little bit of a milder, uh, a milder uh, range on the temperatures during the last half of the month on into April. April has uh, quite a bit of uh, difference on the precip side, especially uh, with prospects for some pretty wet conditions uh, east of the Mississippi uh, from St. Louis on east uh, toward uh, Cincinnati and then toward Cleveland and uh, north into Michigan uh, with some uh, pretty heavy rainfall relative to normal. And uh, the the uh, April temperatures uh, are going to show maybe a little bit more variety as well 
uh, with some cooler uh, tracking across the northern tier of states and then above normal central and south. So there's there's a little bit more of a signal of uh, some variability when we get into uh, the, the middle part of the spring season. Now, I need to mention that when you're talking about below normal, uh, that still is relative to an April temperature, so it still could be fairly decent, but uh, still running below normal when you think about what we usually see during the month of April. So there's that kind of a kind of a reminder in terms of uh, how that temperature pattern might play out. So maybe a little more hope for some early field work than maybe we were thinking uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah, I could you know I, I could hold that out, um, especially uh, south of Interstate 80. I think that's where the uh, prospects are going to be the brightest. Uh, still, um, I'm a little bit cautious about how the uh, season is going to uh, evolve over the northern tier. And, and the, the one thing that, that comes to mind is that uh, we have seen an occurrence uh, more often than not of kind of a false spring develop uh, from time to time. And, you know, where we get uh, a, a real surge in these temperatures uh, sort of out of sync uh, that that can be pretty tempting, of course, to to kind of advance uh, the the field work schedule and, and everything, and then here we get uh, kind of a a little push of some colder air at the wrong time uh, that that could be uh, pretty damaging to to crops uh, if if the timing is right. So there's that that part of the equation too. I know that in the south. Uh, you know, of course, it was very cold, but this last week there was a big warm-up in uh, in parts of the Gulf Coast area. Uh, probably was pretty tempting to to uh, you know do some uh, you know do some planting and and uh, get some uh, get some spring type work done. But there could be a little bit of a cooler shot in that part of the country later on this week. So you know, this uh, false spring uh, scenario is not just confined to one particular area. We can see it over a number of uh, locations across the country. But uh, those dry areas are a big concern. I mean, it, it was dry going into winter. It's been dry through the winter. It looks like it's going to be dry going into spring. That That's a big concern. Well, it is. Uh, the Southern Plains, uh, particularly in, in terms of uh, the wheat crop, there may be a little bit of rain this week in, in Kansas, and uh, Oklahoma, but uh, they're still in need of moisture. And then uh, definitely over the uh, western part of the Midwest, uh, the the drought area, uh, the extreme drought area in northwestern Iowa, and severe drought across much of the Dakotas, and severe to extreme in Nebraska. Uh, that's not uh, ended yet. Uh, there still is a pretty big swath of uh, the central and kind of the east-central Midwest from central Illinois north toward Indiana, southern Michigan. Uh, that's very dry and uh, needs to get uh, precip in order to, um, you know, ensure that we've got a good start ahead to the season. And uh, parts of Minnesota are also quite dry, maybe more abnormally dry, but still lacking moisture when you think about a deep soil profile. And uh, all of that is, uh, you know, kind of wrapped into uh, concerns about how the season is going to start, no doubt about it. All right, let's uh, 
take a look down at South America. What kind of weekend did they have, and what's it look like for them this week? Well, we have uh, discussed how uh, Argentina has not had very much rain uh, during the past few weeks, and indeed the month of February uh, was a pretty dry month in Argentina with less than half the average precipitation for February in Argentina. And uh, this week, it's going to stay dry, but the temperatures are going to ramp up to above normal, anywhere from 3 to 5 degrees above normal. A lot of highs in Argentina are going to be in that mid-90s range. So that is not going to be good for uh, corn and soybeans that are going through uh, late pollination, late uh, flowering, and uh, ear fill and uh, pod fill. As far as Brazil is concerned, Mato Grosso could see anywhere from three to eight inches of rain this week. They had rainfall of up to two and a half inches over the weekend. That's going to slow them down on soybean harvest, and then that's suffering corn crop planting. Yeah, so things have not gone real smoothly for them in Brazil. I mean, they've had their challenges, and you said it's been a slow go for them on harvest. Yes, it has. Now, uh, Brazil certainly could have a, a big crop of soybeans because the, the planting area was uh, expanded uh, during the past uh, season. But uh, there is a notable concern about how the safrina corn crop is going to yield. And that's very important. The safrina corn crop contributes more than 70% to the total Brazil corn supply. And uh, so this is uh, still a, a real open question when it comes to how things are going to uh, pan out for that, uh, for that uh, safrina corn crop. There is uh, just miles and miles to go in the growing season for that crop. Yeah, good point. It may be a big crop when it's all said and done, but it's taking them uh, quite a while or longer than they would normally take uh, to get it out. So that uh, certainly impacts the, the markets. Well, Bryce, thanks a lot, and we'll keep a close watch for, out for those iguanas, okay? Look for them, Mike. You bet. Great to talk to okay. you. Okay, thank you. DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, up next, story that uh, broke uh, late last week. The U.K. is moving to use more biofuels, more ethanol. United Kingdom says it will expand ethanol blends from E5 to E10 by September. Is that good news for the U.S. ethanol industry, or will the U.K. be able to produce all that it needs? We'll talk about it with Scott Richmond with Renewable Fuels Association next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grains are mixed with a higher soybean complex. Grains and Dalian grain futures were supportive overnight, with number one food grade soybeans closing at a new record high of over $25 per bushel. On the Board of Trade, March soybeans trading a nickel higher at 14.10 and a fraction. The May contract up two and a half cent at 14.07 and a fraction. March corn trading four and a half cent lower at 5.51. The May contract down four and a fraction at 543 and a quarter. Board the wheat Chicago wheat march down 6 cents at 649. Kansas City wheat march down 3 cents at 621 and 3 quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat march down 2 at 629. The May contract down a penny at 637 and 3 quarters. Steady cash cattle trading last week was not what traders wanted to see. This triggered aggressive selling. There is some question whether higher cash may be achieved as a lot of cattle were processed last week. Hogs finally corrected the overbought status, but selling may not have run its course. Packers have been aggressive in raising prices and purchasing hogs that may come to an end for the period of time as cutouts are potentially showing price resistance. Last week's cutout prices have been variable. On the Board of Trade, April lean hogs trading 72 cents higher at 87.87. The May contract up 67 at 89.55. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 97 at 137.70. The April contract down $1.12 at 141.45. For live cattle, the April contract down 75 at 118.25. The June contract down 67 at 117.75. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is up 600 points. The NASDAQ composite up 228. The S&P 500 up 66. Crude oil in New York, the April contract down 11 cents at 61.39 per barrel. The U.S. dollar is trending higher. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The United Kingdom has announced it will expand ethanol blends there from E5 to E10 by September. 
Could that be a market opportunity for the U.S. ethanol industry? Let's talk about it with Scott Richmond, the General Counsel and Vice President, Government Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. When I first saw that headline, I thought, all right, let's send them some ethanol. Then I read more, and it looks like they can produce their own. I didn't realize they had much of an ethanol industry in the U.K., uh, just just a point of clarification. This is Ed Hubbard, uh, General Counsel. Uh, oh, I'm God, sorry. Uh, Ed, yes, that's right. That's okay. That's all right. That's okay. But but uh, I had the right title, but the wrong name. I'm sorry. Right, right, <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Scott's a good guy, so I'm 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 in good company. Um, it, it's a wonderful idea. It 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 is it is something that we've been working on for some time now. Uh, I think the important thing that we get out of of this decision that it's it's really bringing everybody around the globe to this, the understanding that E10 should be at least right now a standard. We can see blends going higher than E10, but but if if UK moves by deciding to move to to, to E10. The most important thing for us is really seeing uh, the opportunities for environmental benefits and job job increases and, and agriculture revitalization being available to 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 the to uh, to, to the UK. Um, we do have some troubles with with the European Union a little bit uh, with respect to uh, its its willingness and acceptance of of uh, corn based ethanol. Uh, but we think that, that this decision by the U.K. will help them immediately start moving uh, and taking advantage of the benefits that, that biofuels and ethanol offer with, with blends uh, of E10 at, at a minimum. Um, but, but it's really about their ability to, to not only uh, meet their decarbonization efforts by <clears throat> trying to, mm-hmm. to satisfy their Paris commitments, but you know, we see it. Yes, we see it as a market opportunity. But this is really a market opportunity for uh, the UK's domestic industry to try to start to, to develop. Um, one of the things that we focus on in our international promotion efforts are we want to find markets that that also want to develop their own biofuel. Every almost every market that we deal with that imports from us is importing from us with the hope that they could also develop and, and have a really robust domestic industry. So this decision, I think, yes, it does provide opportunities for the U.S. ethanol industry to help uh, meet any sort of deficiencies that, that the U.K. has, but it's really about what they can do on their own. And it wasn't that long ago, I guess pre-pandemic, we were talking about these countries around the world making a move to ethanol. They wanted to clean their air and, and all That's this... Right. Uh, potential demand but then we we kind of stopped hearing about it during covid uh what is the uh, latest on that and and the opportunities you see ahead for ethanol exports look uh, covid was tough uh, we saw when covid immediately started to hit you started to see some countries that had these you know smaller industries close their doors a bit and make it a more you know challenging to get uh exports in but that is that is starting to soften up a bit. It is it is starting to uh, 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 some of the restrictions are starting to loosen up, and so we, what we're starting to focus on now is going back to those you know kind of stalled agreements. Some of those new markets, for example, UK is a is a a new market for us. Um, would be potentially a new market. 
uh, ultimately a market that we are working on a free trade agreement with. But in addition to the, to, to the UK, we're also talking about markets with uh, free trade agreements with Kenya, which will allow us to sell both fuel and uh, uh, ethanol for fuel grade as well as for cooking stoves and, and, and heating, home heating. Uh, we're also looking at uh, uh, free trade agreements with Indonesia and, and some smaller markets, uh, even markets like Australia represent new growing markets for us, uh, at least around the area of ethanol. So yes, COVID's been challenging, but we're starting to see some loosening up of the restrictions. And, and while these restrictions were in place, we were certainly, as an industry, working behind the scenes, trying to continue to push uh, the previous administration, as well as talking with the current administration about uh, some the, the the importance of some of these smaller markets and these agreements working with with you know kind of these fledgling industries or uh, stalled trade agreements that that have been stalled as a result of you know kind of the shutdown of of trade uh, as a result of COVID. We're talking with Ed Hubbard, not Scott Richmond, with Renewable <laughs> Fuels Association. Ed, uh, what is with all the push about? climate right now and you know reducing greenhouse gases what is and we know the debate here in this country what is the global view of biofuels to help meet those climate goals i i think it's i think biofuels globally have a have an important role certainly the the responsibility of articulating that that role has to has to fall on those those uh global leaders in ethanol production um, we were very excited about the U.S. rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. The most important thing with respect to that is not just joining it, but also joining it and then uh, articulating as part of our commitment that we in the United States see a viable role for uh, biofuels to play toward uh, a zero or net emission uh, environment. Uh, Brazil certainly uh, in their Paris uh, commitments uh, noted that the, that biofuels plays an important role. So it's key that one, we join some of these organ these uh, climate change uh, 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 international um, uh, agreements. But as part of growing it, uh, or at least joining these agreements, we have to explain what biofuels mean to the to, to the term net zero or zero emission vehicles. We can't just simply move to electric vehicles uh, a wholesale. We've got to be able to not only transition to them but provide alternatives. Um, and so we're we're decarbonizing all parts of transport and decarbonizing liquid fuels is something that's very key for our success in reaching a, not just a, uh, a, a zero emission, but a net zero. Uh, biofuels presents an opportunity not just for reducing, but also serving as a carbon sink uh, for, for so going beyond just simply zero. Uh, and so uh, it, uh, we believe in the United States that, that biofuels plays a, a very important role in that process. We think that globally that, that, that has to uh, be articulated, but it will be the responsibility of those global leaders in ethanol production, and that includes us, that includes uh, Brazil, that includes certainly Canada uh, uh, and, and others, uh, the Europeans as well, but also some of these smaller markets that, that are, are developing and, and are very robust in their own right um, who see biofuels as a, as a way toward the future. 
certainly much more practical, realistic, especially in the short term, but even in the long term of uh, meeting those uh, of those climate goals, the use of biofuels. Absolutely. Not that there's not a place for electric vehicles, but just it just does not seem realistic to think you're just all of a sudden yeah. going to go all electric. I mean, uh, <laughs> right, it's, it's right, su- right. such an opportunity, and, I, and that's why I wanted to get a global perspective uh, on this issue. Yeah, now, you mentioned Brazil, big ethanol producer, yeah. also a big ethanol user. What do you see yeah. happening there as far as their ethanol needs and because we we do sell ethanol into that market what, what's the future there absolutely uh, well you know we are uh, it's a bit of a, a challenging situation with brazil we are very mm-hmm. very happy very excited about their move to what's no, the the hanova bio program essentially it is a program whereby they that's modeled after the the California's low carbon fuel standard that seeks to increase the size of the pie as it relates to biofuel usage. And to the extent that it increases usage, it also creates it creates more demand in that market, which then would turn for us, as you indicated, we, we sell market we sell product to that market. So it does provide demand opportunities for us. The challenging side of of, of, of that discussion is Brazil has taken a bit of a turn toward tariff um, a tariff, a tariff-friendly strategy. Uh, we, for for almost a decade, had uh, zero, essentially, essentially zero tariff between the two of us, and we we you know tried to to fill each other's um, uh, deficiencies when needed, and and and, and compete on a, a a very, I think, a fair level of uh, on at least a free and fair level uh, for many years. Um, uh, we now have a situation where every every gallon that goes to Brazil is is taxed at twenty percent, uh, and and that's just the that's an import tariff. And then there are some 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 local tariffs, an ICMS and a Peace Coffins tariff that that uh, tariff that that increase that even beyond the twenty percent. Uh, so it's make it makes it challenging uh, for volumes to keep going into Brazil. Now we'll still sell to them, uh, but. But in, in my opinion, I do think that, that demand uh, is strong enough there, at least under this new Hanova Bio program. But we've got to see if we can negotiate, get them, get the Brazilians back to the table, and talk to them about the benefits of, of you know, eliminating the the the, the, the tariffs that they are trying to, or at least that they've been able to erect more recently with Brazil. We'd like to get to back to a zero tariff. It's going to be challenging. We've, we've spoken with the Biden administration about re-engaging, re- resetting talks with Brazil over that. Um, you know, certainly we want to be a part of this, the, the, the demand growth with Hanova Bio. Uh, we see ourselves in the United States even moving to potentially a national clean fuel standard similar to Hanova Bio. So we, we've got to do our best to try to work together uh, yep. toward this effort. Interesting. All right, Ed, good to talk with you again. I don't know why I had Scott on my mind, but uh, it's good to talk with you, Ed. Thanks. Always, always good to talk to you, Mike. Take care, my friend. Ed Hubbard with the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we'll look at the carbon program that Bear Crop Science is uh, putting together. We'll get the latest on that next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. 
At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we talk a lot about uh, climate policies being a real priority for the new administration, the new Congress. We talk about opportunities for agriculture. There are also plenty of questions and concerns. Where are we headed with this? A lot of discussion focused around carbon. Let's talk now with Lisa Streck. She is the uh, Carbon Business Model Grower Program Lead for Bear Crop Science. And Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about Bear's Carbon Initiative. Yeah, good morning and excited to talk to you today. Um, Bayer's Carbon Initiative will pay U.S. farmers for adopting climate smart farming practices such as the use of cover crop or no-till or strip-till. Um, what's exciting about this program is it helps create a financial incentives for growers to adopt these smart far farming practices. And that's key. Uh, the concerns have been in the past, policies that would come down that would uh, uh, make it hard for farmers to see any financial benefit. But uh, here you're talking about moving to practices, or in some cases practices they're already doing, that would have a financial incentive to them. What are some of the takeaways you've seen so far from this initiative? Yeah, so we've really been excited about our initiative so far. We've hit the number of acres um, that we've wanted to in this program. Uh, we've actually got growers who are on a waiting list to um, enroll in our program for 2021. But what we've really seen is high interest from, from farmers to learn more about the carbon markets and the opportunities um, that they have to participate in those markets. And here at Bayer Crop Science, we really believe that we have a role in helping connect farmers with these different carbon markets and, and can help them implement what's best for their farms. So there is an interest there by farmers. What are some of the questions? What's, what kind of feedback are you getting from farmers? So from, from farmers, they like the simplicity of our program. Within Bayer's program, we pay farmers um, based on a per acre on the practices that they implement on their farm. So we're getting a lot of positive feedback about how simple our program is for, for farmers to enroll their fields. And then the simplicity of knowing their payment will be on a per acre basis, um, which helps farmers ca um, calculate the ROI on these acres. 
And that, that really comes down to that ROI, that's for sure. That's so important. But, you know, we're, with all those discussions I mentioned around carbon and carbon programs, so there are going to be a lot of different things out there. Uh, how does BEAR's initiative differ from, from other programs? Yeah, so how our um, initiative is different is we pay on the per acre for practice versus some of the other programs that are in the marketplace today pay on the amount of carbon that's generated. So one of the guiding principles that we've used to build our program is to keep it simple for the farmer to enroll. We utilize um, climate field view as part of our process, so it's real easy for farmers to enroll the fields that they want to participate in the program, select the practice that they will implement. Um, so we've really tried to keep simplicity at the backbone of our program. Anything new in the initiative for 2021? Yeah, so we're really excited about our 2021 program. Uh, we will be rolling it out in the coming weeks. Um, we expect to expand the geography to participate in the program. So we're really excited for the opportunities that our program will have during this next year. Uh, where can the farmers get more information? Where should they go? Yeah, so farmers can go to www.bayercarbon.com for more information. Yeah, we encourage them to do that because, Lisa, there's no doubt this is the uh, the direction we're headed, right? I mean, there are a lot of um, a lot of questions around this, but as I said, a lot of opportunities as well for growers. Yeah, we think it's truly a win-win scenario. It's good for farmers. It's good for their business. Um, you know, it provides that additional revenue stream, and we know that there's research out there on the benefits from a soil health perspective that these different climate smart fill farming practices such as the addition of cover crop or no-till can bring to the grower's soil and we know how important that is for farmers to ensure that um, they keep the soil health up on their farm when they pass it down to future generations so we really look at it as a as a win-win for for both the farmer um, and for the environment and in some cases it may get a farmer to uh, try some and use some new practices but in other cases it may be what they're already doing so they can uh, ins you know uh, see some financial benefits even more than the benefits they're already seeing from using those practices and maybe they want to expand some of those practices that they may already be using yeah i think it opens up the conversations for you know the farmers to take a look at the practices that they're doing on their farms already the potential, as you mentioned, to add new practices um, and see what the results are, right? With a financial incentive, it provides an opportunity for farmers to take a look at things they may not have considered in the past. Is it a challenge to quantify the benefits of those practices, whether they're doing them or what, some they may be going to, how you really capture their value and, and know what's there? So, yeah, we use, uh, you know, a lot of our digital technology, um, satellite imagery, different carbon sequestration models to, to understand the amount of carbon that um, growers are sequestering from these different practices. Um, so, so that helps us really understand what the impact is that from these actions that growers are implementing on their farms. And one thing yeah, we've really tried to do as we've built our program at 
uh, at Bayer is really partner with growers. We want their feedback throughout this program. We have actually have a uh, grower advisory panel where we've got farmers on that panel that help us build this program and provide feedback to us throughout the process. Very good. We're going to learn a lot more about uh, these types of uh, initiatives moving forward. Lisa, thank you for the update. No problem. Glad to do it. Lisa Streck, Carbon Business Model Grower Program Lead at Bear Crop Science. That wraps it up for today. Tomorrow we'll talk with uh, former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator Greg Dowd. We'll be talking trade issues. That's tomorrow. I hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.